Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to take you back in time about 24 years. And those of you who are good at math can surmise that 24 years ago was 1998. It was before Y2K. You might be surprised at some of the things that were happening in 1998, 24 years ago. The first Apple iMac came out. MP3 players were all the rage. The movie Titanic was raking in Oscars left and right. Seinfeld was coming to an end. And if you were lucky enough to have a cell phone in those days, it was likely that you had a Nokia 6120 with a little antenna that you could pull out and get better reception. It was also the year that the first Harry Potter book debuted in the United States. And believe it or not, it was the year that Google was launched. It's hard to imagine that all of those, hap- all, all of those things happened 24 years ago, especially when you consider all of the things that have happened in the last 24 years. When I think back to 24 years ago this month, I remember that my wife and our two little kids were just preparing to move to northern Colorado from east central Oklahoma. And a lot has happened in those last 24 years to bring us to this point. When you consider your own life in the last 24 years, you know that your life, like mine, has been filled with many ups and downs and sorrows and joys and life and death. People have come and gone. The world has changed in a variety of ways in just 24 years. So we might think that 24 years seem like just yesterday, but imagine if you were Abram and Sarai. 24 years might look and feel a little differently to you. A lot has happened in their life in the last 24 years as well. It started 24 years ago when Abram was 75 years old and God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and sent him on a faith venture to a land unknown to experience things that only God knew would happen. And so in that 24-year period, Abram and his wife Sarai have bounced around from place to place, journeying thousands of miles together. Living in a tent, no less. Sarai has watched Abram build an altar and pitch his tent and then set up their camp. Their marriage has been tested and tried and even jeopardized on various occasions. They've risked their own well-being for the sake of extended family. Abram gathered 318 of his trained men and formed a small to go on a rescue mission to save his nephew. Abram has met and negotiated and cut covenants with kings. And Abram and Sarai even participated in a twisted scheme to help God keep his promises to them. And it ended in disaster. Among other things, Abram found himself caught in the middle of a catfight between his wife and her servant. All that to say that over the past 24 years, Abram has been on a faith venture. 
and he has struggled and he has stumbled nearly every step of the way. There have been moments of doubt and moments of fear, but there have also been moments of tremendous faith. And that is where we see him today. Through it all, God has been reiterating his promises again and again. And to our ears, hearing the same words over and over again might sound like white noise, the static of unfulfilled promises and unmet expectations. To our eyes, it might look like the Lord was just dangling a carrot in front of Abram, stringing him along one step after the other. Maybe tomorrow God will fulfill his promise. Or maybe the day after that, it's only been 24 years after all. It might appear like the Lord was just talking and acting, but talking and not acting, but things are not always as they appear, are they? Because in that same 24 year period, the Lord has also been on a faith venture with Abram. He has been with him every step of the way. He has appeared to him again and again. The Lord prompted Abram to convert from dead idols to the living God. The Lord protected Abram from enemies and dangers. The Lord is the one who provided for him in his time of need. The Lord has provided for him no small measure of health and wealth. The Lord has preserved his life up to this point. And through it all, the Lord has been waiting patiently for Abram to grow up. To grow up spiritually, to mature in his faith. You see, when Abram first came to faith, the faith was way too big for him. But over these last 24 years, he has been growing stronger and getting bigger in the faith. He's beginning to fill out the gift that God gave him. But now, after 24 years, the Lord can come down and meet with Abram once again. And in his heart of hearts, know that he has Abram right where he wants him. Abram is at the crossroads of faith between the promises of God and the problems of his own life. And it's in this moment that God whispers to Abram one more time. I have made you the father of multitudes. Notice how the Lord God says this in the past tense, as if it's already happened. And yet, Abram has no son with his wife. I have made you the father of multitudes. And once again, Abram has to go home and tell his wife, guess what? I'm the father of multitudes. This time around, the Lord ups the ante, sweetens the deal. He changes Abram's name ever so slightly. But he changes Abram's name by giving Abram part of his own name. So that Abram is renamed from exalted father to the father of multitudes. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah which means princess in both cases. But now she bears the name of God as a seal of the promise that God has made to Abraham and to Sarah. 
So when God gives him this new name, Father of Multitudes, we might be tempted to ask, well, wait a minute, is this just another humiliating insult to injury? After all, as he goes about in the ancient Near East, people will look at him and know that his name is Abraham, and they will call him Father of Many Nations, and then soon discover that he has no offspring, no seed, no son, no children to his name. He is seedless, he's childless, and yet God calls him the father of many nations. Now when God makes this promise to Abram, what does Abram do with it? How does he respond? Well, a younger Abram, and by younger I mean let's say when he was 78, a younger Abram, less mature in his faith, might have negotiated or Push back or ask God questions about what's happening here. But in this story, we see that Abram does something remarkable. He simply falls down on his face before the Lord. He lies prostrate before the Lord in reverence, not in defiance. Here is a man who has completely surrendered himself to God. He's lying in a posture of prayer that signifies, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. He's not fighting. He's not struggling against the Lord. He's willing to hear whatever the Lord has to say. The Holy Spirit explains what's happening here in the book of Romans chapter 4, where it says, This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. And it goes on to say, hope against hope, Abraham believed that he would become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your seed be. And Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, because he was a hundred years old. Nor did he consider his wife's body and the deadness of her womb. 24 years of experience, at least, has proven to him that they are never, ever, ever going to have a child together. Unless God performs some supernatural work in their life. The scripture says no unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. For those of you who come to us from time to time and say, my faith is weak, my faith is frail, my faith seems to be fading away. Take a lesson, take a note from our father Abraham. That your faith grows strong when you give glory to God. So direct your heart and your eyes to Him. Worship Him. Build an altar and call on His name. And as often as you do that, you find your faith growing stronger in the Lord. So what we see is that Abraham saw the physical condition of his life and of his wife's life He knew the personal circumstances that had tracked them around the Middle East for 24 years. And he knew that all of that contradicted the promises of God, or at least competed with the promises of God. And he's faced with a decision. 
He's at the crossroads between the promise of God and the problems of his life. And what does he do? He opts for the promises of God. Hope against hope. He believes that God's promises are greater than his problems. And that God's power is greater than his performances. And that is why, the scripture says, that is why his faith faith was counted to him as righteousness. So in this story, we see God drawing near to Abram once again, reiterating his promises, and then renaming him Abraham. But he's not quite finished with him yet. Because now, after all of these years of talking and words and promises, now God is going to add something visible and concrete to those promises. It starts with a change of name, but then it moves to a change of life and body. In addition to God giving them new names, God gave Abraham another reassuring sign of his promise. The sign of circumcision. A sign that will reshape him, body and soul, for the rest of his life. Now, if you heard that, you must have thought, wait a minute, how can circumcision be reassuring, right? How can you put those two things together? There's nothing that seems reassuring about this, especially when you're dealing with a man that is 99 years old, not to mention all the other men around him, but we'll get to that in a moment. God has given Abraham a sign And it's a sign that points away from Abraham back to the Lord. Throughout the book of Genesis, the word sign is used in various ways. It's used in Genesis 1, early on, where the sun, moon, and stars are signs in the sky that mark the seasons that we experience on the earth. After Cain murdered his brother and he pleaded with the Lord to spare his life, the Lord God put a sign on Cain to protect him against anyone that would seek vengeance against him. After God flooded the earth and cut off all mankind from the face of the earth, he put a sign in the sky in the form of a rainbow to remind himself that he has promised to never flood the earth and wipe out mankind in that way ever again. And now God has come and he's given a sign to Abraham and to all of his seed, all of his descendants. All the males that come from Abraham must bear this sign in their body. In other words, God has given Abraham a visual oath. And I say that simply because God has made a promise, but also because the word sign in Hebrew sounds like the English word for oath. I was told just before the service started that our pastoral intern will be following along in his Hebrew Bible today. And I wonder if he noticed that. So God has given Abraham a sacrament. A physical and visible sign of a spiritual and invisible reality. And what does this spiritual and invisible reality point to? It points to the true and living God. It points to the truth that God is the faithful promise maker and the faithful promise keeper. It points away from Abraham, away from himself to God. It's to remind Abraham that God is the one who cut the covenant with him. 
that God is the one who walked the blood path of the covenant to give assurance that he will keep his covenant. That God is the one who will walk the blood path even when Abraham fails to keep the covenant. God is the one who will bear the penalty for Abraham's sin. That is what the sign of the covenant signifies and seals to Abraham. It doesn't tell Abraham anything about himself except that he has been called and chosen by grace to follow the Lord. But it tells Abraham that God is the one who is doing all of the heavy lifting. So circumcision is a sign given to him that is going to reshape and reform his life from now on. He's going to be changed physically and spiritually and culturally. And all those who come from him will experience that change as well. This is what the sacraments do for us. We just witnessed three children receive baptism. Did anything change? Did they change? Yes. Their status before God changed. Their status within this church changed. The whole course and direction of their life changed because of what God has promised to do for them. The sacraments change us. We are changed by them because of the promise and the power of God. Now, another way it brings about change is it marks a distinction. It marks a distinction between God's people and the world, the flesh and the devil. The sacrament of circumcision is going to change Abraham's life in so many different ways, body and soul. To give you a few examples, think of this. Abraham will no longer be a Gentile. He will no longer be numbered simply among the nations. He's different now. He will no longer be a natural man. He's different now. He will no longer be a sinner united to Adam. He's different now. Grace has made all the difference in his life. God is changing him. Marking the distinction between him and the rest of the world. Between his seed and the rest of the world. Now notice how Abraham responded to this shocking command. A shocking command to cut off the skin from the tip of his private part. To put it mildly. This is the kind of thing again where a younger Abraham might have been prone to argue, debate, negotiate, try to rework the terms of the covenant. He might have said, look, based on 24 years of experience with you, I don't think we need to do this. It seems to me like we're getting along just fine. But that's not what he does. The scripture says that as the Lord God went up from Abraham, Abraham stood up and he kept God's covenant. He obeyed the word of the Lord. He did what the covenant required. He endured the painful rite of circumcision in his own body. And then he went to all the males in his family and tribe and inflicted circumcision upon them as well. Now think about what that means for a moment. How many males do you think Abraham circumcised that day? He circumcised himself, he circumcised Ishmael and all the other males, workers and servants, trained men in his house. We know there were at least 318 fighting men, so that's something. 
And there were dozens and dozens of other men who were not trained to fight. There were others who were too young to fight and some who were too old to fight. So you put it all together, you're looking at Abraham circumcising on that same day hundreds of males in his household. And what that does is it puts the whole community at risk. The security detail is going to be laid out recovering from this minor surgery. The workers are not going to be able to take care of the flocks and herds as well as they used to, at least for a time. They are put into a vulnerable position. And so to say that Abraham circumcised himself and Ishmael and all these men by faith, you have to know that they did it by faith, and faith means more than just mental assent to a set of propositions. It's not like Abram just thought about circumcision and said, well, I thought about it, therefore I've done it. No. He had to take action. And he took action and did this. Why? We did it because he is the friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God and he did what he commanded. This is the same kind of thing Jesus says to us. You are my friends if you do what I command you. This is how he proved friendship with God. The story shows us that true faith requires more than just intellectual thought. It requires more than just an emotional feeling. It requires a volitional act. That's what true faith is. It requires action. To believe God is to obey God. And what's interesting about this is that the scriptures highlight for us that Abraham did this that very day. There was no delay in his response. And that's instructive for us who are trying to walk in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham. Think about your own life. You know the good that you ought to do. You know there are things the Lord requires of you. And yet you delay in keeping his command. Your obedience drags along behind your knowledge of God's word. Why? Because somehow we think that grace gives us a free pass to delay obedience. To put it off and procrastinate. I'll believe later. I'll obey tomorrow. I'll do this when I feel like it. Well, I can tell you, and you can ask any man in this room, that Abraham did not feel like circumcising himself or anyone else. He didn't act on this faith because he felt like it or because it was convenient. He acted on this faith because faith requires action. As James put it, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In other words, when we see this story, we see that Abraham's faith is alive and active. He infused the body of his faith with the spirit of his works. He trusted and obeyed the Lord, body and soul. And he did this without delay. Now, some people might say, well, he must have been a legalist at heart since he obeyed God so quickly. Obedience to God's word is not legalism. 
Legalism is obedience to man's word about God's word. That's legalism. Now, Abraham was no legalist. He's acting by grace through faith in his obedience to God. And for those of us who struggle with obedience, let me remind you that delayed obedience is not obedience at all. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So when you see Abram get up off the ground and get to work, you see a man that is acting in the obedience of faith, doing what God has called him to do, no matter how painful, no matter how difficult or inconvenient it might be. What does this story have to do with Jesus? That's an important question we should ask each week, isn't it? Well, it has everything to do with Jesus because Jesus is the seed of Abraham. You see, throughout these 24 years, as we read the story, we see God mention Abram and his seed, Abraham and his seed. And the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, finally tells us that the seed is Christ. The one that God promised would come and bless the whole world and all the families of the earth is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the seed of Abraham. And since he is the seed of Abraham, he is the one upon whom the whole story turns. For example, in Colossians 2, circumcision and baptism are drawn together in the crucifixion of Christ. And here the Apostle Paul refers to the cross as The circumcision of Christ. And that is fitting because at the cross, Jesus was cut off from the land of the living. At the cross, the body of flesh was cut off and removed and made to nothing. At the cross, Jesus redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In other words, at the cross, the God-man walked the blood path between the animals to keep the covenant that he had made with Abram, to keep the covenant he had made with us, to bless and not curse, to bring life and not death. At the cross, we see Jesus fulfilling the promises of God. And he does it so that the blessing of Abraham would come to everyone who believes, including you and your children. But not just believes anything and everything, but believes the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the story of God's grace for you. It is the good news that in Christ You were circumcised with a circumcision not handmade. In other words, you were circumcised by the Spirit of Christ. And the putting off of the body of flesh in the circumcision of Jesus. You've been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through God's faithful work of raising Jesus from the dead. What makes the sign of the covenant Powerful and effective, the promise and the power of God. And once again, we see that God is the faithful promise maker 
and the faithful promise keeper. We see that in what he accomplished through Jesus at the cross. And so all of you who were dead in trespasses and in the foreskin of your flesh, God has made alive together with Christ. It is in the mystical union between you and Jesus that you find your hope, that you find life. It is in your union with Christ that you walk through the blood path. Not to suffer for your own sins, not to suffer the fate of a covenant breaker. But to be shielded from the wrath of God by the one who endured the sorrow and the miseries of this life for your sake. Jesus is the one who walks through the darkness and brings you out into the light. The gospel says that Jesus is the one who forgave us all our trespasses. That he blotted out the handwritten decree against us, which was opposed to us, which stood between us and God. He took it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. And it was at the cross that our sins were dealt with once and for all. They received the just penalty and punishment that they were due. Never to haunt us. Never to come back and bother us again. They have been removed in the circumcision of the Christ. Now all of you who have been baptized into Christ bear the mark of that circumcision. The mark of the cross on your life. And I want to urge you with all your heart, as your father Abraham did, walk in the footsteps of his faith, bearing the cross every inch of the way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.